Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 71. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. After delivering his Salon Owners Summit talk, Act Like the Expert You Are, last January, joining us for the third installment of our 30 Days to Grow special interview series is Salon Manager and Maitre D. Gavin Hoare. Today, he'll be sharing his tips for providing a client experience that will keep customers coming back time and time again. So, grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salon's business and marketing needs. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Killian. How are things? I am good. So, what are we now? We've just crossed over the halfway mark for 30 days to grow, isn't it? I know. It's, it's been amazing. I can't believe we're already halfway through it. Yeah, week, week three, it's gone so fast because like when you, when you mentioned that it's a month-long challenge, it sounds like a, such a massive investment of time, mm-hmm. but it's just... It's only like small little tasks every day. And again, the feedback has been brilliant. So I think last week's challenges were focused around client experiences. So we had challenges like they were just kind of small, simple challenges, like sending messages out to thank loyal clients, um, encouraging your staff to offer a small like service add-on free of charge, just something small now, nothing too expensive or anything. Learning one new thing about your client that's related to their treatment and their visit. Then we had the one that we love and it was one from last year, the moments of magic. So what moment of magic are you offering your customer? Now, in fairness, on that one, loads of people, like there was one as well uh, that you sent a personalized card to loyal clients and that one, everyone just thought it was so great. Yeah, it's just so out of the ordinary. Like how many companies do you work with do something like that mm. or how many like when you go to a, your, your shops or any, anything like that do you do you get thank you messages um so yeah and then the new one was the fresh baked goods to so kind of like pair up with someone in your local area thought that was really cool yeah so what have we got then so today on forest fm uh, we wanted to continue on building up staff to becoming the best at providing client experience of course um so without further ado we have on the line with us the one and only maitre d gavin moore hello and welcome to the show Hi, Gavin. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) So we had you at the Salon Owner Summit 2018 and you did a brilliant talk and it was all about kind of being the expert that you are. So I suppose the whole focus is like you are an expert. People are coming to you for your professionalism and your services. Act like it essentially, wasn't it? Indeed. I think that probably my greatest feeling about our industry is that our industry itself often doesn't take itself as seriously as it should. Um, And I think really times are changing. Clients are wanting more from what they get from a salon visit. Um, So it's time for our teams to start looking for other avenues, how we can enhance the client experience while they're with us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like the 30 days to grow, it's all around kind of it kind of focuses on the back of that. Take yourself more seriously. You shouldn't have to keep discounting your services. Um, but at the same time, you can't like increase your price without offering those client experiences that you need to back you up. So Gavin, just as we jump into the show, for anyone that isn't aware, um, do you want to give a bit of a background about yourself? And especially I'd say one thing people are trying to know is, what is a Salon Maitre d'? <laughs> That's probably one of the biggest questions I'm always asked. So I'll start at the beginning. Um, my name's Gavin Hoare. I'm the manager of um, Richard Walter and Metro Spa. Um, we're based in the heart of London's Chelsea. Um, we're currently in our 25th year of business. And I've been working closely with Richard and Helen for the last 18 years. The first eight I was on uh, reception. 
um, and eventually running reception. And then the last sort of few years, I've been basically acting as salon manager. Um, but that title really didn't kind of encompass the role that I do on a day to day. So Helen kind of pinched the idea from restaurants and the like and gave me an industry first, I think, which was an in-salon maitre d', because I have so many roles that vary on a day-to-day basis. But ultimately, they always revolve around the smooth running of the salon, um, looking after the staff, and most importantly, trying to ensure that the clients have a consistency in the service offerings and the customer service experience they have while they're with us. I love the title because, like you said, it comes from the restaurant industry when you go to a nice restaurant, especially a restaurant that has a major tree, so the higher end ones, you notice that experience, you notice that service and the environment. It's just so much more, oh, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just nice. I think it's it also come, when we moved to our current location that we have, I think we've been in now for the last 12 years, overnight we literally doubled our salon size. And unusually for most London salons, our main reception area, our front of house, is located on the ground floor where the rest of the salon, all the business side of the salon, goes ahead on the first floor. So I think that's when Helen and Richard made that decision. By that stage, I was head receptionist um, to bring me out from behind the desk and actually get me to kind of transfer that role into the centre of salon life, into the centre of the floor. Um, For us always the linchpin of salon life has been our front of house um and i could probably talk a bit about that later but really it was how can we bring the services that we're offering on the desk and follow through with the consistency of the client care while the client's actually having their hair done or in the waiting area um, and look after them while they're in that big space i think we're always striving to create a small salon atmosphere that actually, if you visit us, we're like an airport hangar. So it's a quite a hard job to maintain that kind of level of service when we're doing, on a good week, upward of 1,200 clients per week. Wow. That, that's, a, <laughs> that's some feat for sure. Um, about your talk at the summit, one of the big things that uh, stuck to me was at some point you were talking about empowering staff and, and people to act like experts, obviously, to raise the bars in terms of customer service. And one thing that you said was that we had the power to change how customer service is delivered. I thought that was really brilliant. I was wondering if you could develop on this. I think I'm old enough, well, I won't tell you my age, but I'm old enough that I kind of grew up with those core service values. I grew up in a a suburb of London where we had a local high street. If my father wanted to go and buy, um, you had a butcher's, a baker's, a florist, and people knew you by name. And you got that personalised one-to-one service that kind of made you feel valued for your custom. And I think as I grew older and we kind of went through the 80s and the 90s, that was lost a lot. We had that kind of sense where people would get in a car and drive for 20 minutes to a big shopping precinct that was on the outskirts of town and nameless people were employed that really didn't feel invested in their role or in their job. And that kind of one-to-one customer service value was lost. I just feel, you'll understand as I talk today, I have a lot of personal beliefs, so forgive me. But I think as I get older, I think our industry has such an outreach and we're unique in that we're hands-on client facing we do literally have the opportunity to change how customer service is delivered certainly within the uk 
Um, I think one thing I have to say is offering good customer service costs our business nothing, nothing to implement at all, which is quite a rarity in this day and age when everyone's snapping at your bank balance and wanting money off you. Um, and I think our businesses, our salon owners, our managers, our team have to recognise that the customer service experience can never be a static one. Uh, its delivery changes over time um, and salons must always try and adapt uh, to whatever changing client sensibilities there are or indeed different economic climates. And I think that's the thing that our industry, we don't have a set of rules. We don't have a guide to guide us. It's very much down to the individual and we have to work within our own client demographic, our own teams to how we deliver that customer service. I couldn't agree more, especially when you're saying with the whole, the towns are moving outside, like where I come from, there's a town in Kildare and our town essentially just became a desert town because if you, you had all these industrial estates build up and stuff like that outside and like that, you get a lot of, now I'm going to say this because I am a young person, so I can say it, but a lot of young people are just going in and they're like robots. Like what can you as an actual manager do to empower your staff then? I th- well, that's kind of such an open-ended question. We're always trying to empower our staff. Um, I think as a manager, I have to practice what I preach. Um, I always try and lead by example. Um, but I think most important, it's really un- making sure that our younger teams or the people that are coming up through the ranks really understand the role that they play in salon life. You know, I'm firmly of the belief the competition is everywhere that you look. And I no longer think it's enough to be an amazing hairdresser, to do a great cut, colour or finish, or indeed a great therapist. I kind of think that we have to be looking a bit more wildly wise. We have to be looking outside the box and thinking, what else can we bring to this? Um, And I think it's giving your team the empowerment to get professional it's time for our teams to start acting like the experts that we are and talk the business of hair, talk the business of beauty before we move on to anything else. You know, every client when they come through our doors has a wish list and it's really up to us to try and find out what that wish list is and meet their expectation. But that varies with every person that comes through. It's a very individual and that's what we need to take our time in trying to establish um, and just just before we move on to the wish list, then I like what you're saying there about the kind of the young people coming through the ranks. They are hungry and they want to do more than just be the best stylist to be the best therapist. They're looking for someone to actually like invest in them and give them that opportunity to to do more to be the overall. I agree to a point, but I think quite often a lot of people that come into our industry didn't do particularly well at school. Most haven't been to university. Certainly in my own experience, when I was at school, I didn't really understand what I was doing there. And they're creatives. They come from a creative background. And I think what so many of our hairdressers, especially the ones that uh, perhaps have been in the industry for a few years, because when we're talking about creating change, when you say you've got 30 days of grow, to grow, the hardest thing to change in an existing business to bring in is change because a lot of people are stuck in their ways they think I'm doing a good job why do I need to do the change and I think they lose sight as hairdressers we've trained for such a long time to master our skills 
um, our techniques uh, grow on an ever-expanding bank of product knowledge. Yet time and time again, in businesses that I I visit for consultation work or whatever, I see that this knowledge is not being shared with the client. They're not passing that down the line. It's it's almost like they don't, they forget the air of authority and how long it's taken them to get there. Um, I, I, I use this analogy a lot because I think it really kind of brings home my point. So forgive me for anyone that's already heard it. But a great example is, I, so when I go to my dentist, um, I've been seeing the same dentist for 12 years. I'm very loyal, like most of us are. Um, but every time I go to his uh, sickness chair every three months, and about five, six years ago, he recommended to me that I needed three different size brushes to clean in the gaps in between my teeth to maintain a healthy mouth. Obviously, I can't respond to him because I've got two fists going down my throat, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> but ultimately, he is sharing his knowledge with me. He's giving me educated, well-informed professional advice. And because he's a dentist, I accept that. I take that. So when I finish the service with him, I duly go to his receptionist and I buy those three brushes because he's given me advice. He's not done a hard sell on me. He's not told me I must have this. He's purely recommended for the well-being of my oral hygiene I should do this. So I follow because of what I perceive as his professional attitude. Not only that, but I also book my next appointment because he tells me that he needs to see me in three months. He's specific. And if I don't book the appointment, I probably won't get one. So on two fronts, I'm not doing a hard sell, just purely acting as the professional he is. He's got an extra sale on the brushes that I'm using to keep my oral hygiene. But he's also ensuring he's taking charge of promoting his business by getting me to book in again. And I think that's the best analogy for our hairstylists our therapists, for our colorists, and even our assistants. It's, that's why I always go back to this expression to act like the expert that you are. It's going back and just talk with that authority that you've worked so long and hard to achieve. And I honestly believe that with that follows your retail sales, your loyalty of clients. And for me, that's all part of the client experience. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, that is a perfect analogy that you're given because we experience that and we see that in our day-to-day to the other professionals we go to, but are we doing it ourselves? Not enough. And I, the thing is, I think you're in a salon, on average salon, you may have some people that do it, but for me, it's all about consistency. I Because we have, in our salon, we have 25 stylists, 14 colour technicians, and we have to have, to offer the best service to our clients, we have a freedom to roam policy. So my clients can come in and see anyone that they want. I don't really want to encourage them to be loyal to any one stylist for obvious reasons. So if they see two, three stylists within the salon, the message has to remain consistent. It has to remain on point. And ultimately, you have to kind of create an ethos in the salon. So you have to get everyone on board with what you're trying to achieve as a manager or as a business owner and let them see the benefits to running their column on their takings and ultimately on salon profits. So what exactly comes to mind to you when we mention client experience, like from both a staff and a client point of view? It's hard, oh God, you could keep me here for days talking, <laughs> but I'll try and keep it narrowed down. Um, it varies, I mean, is the honest truth. I mean, for instance, if you're taking... Uh, for me, if it's a new client that's coming into the salon, the client experience starts at the very beginning. It starts with a website. 
you know, when we've done research into new business at Richard Ward, um, it's telling us that our statistics tell us that 80% of new clients will go on the internet to do some research into our business before they even pick up a telephone. So your website really is the biggest window that you have to let them know what you're all about. Um, and then really from then on, it kind of comes down from the first point of contact to the last, which is why I'm a great advocate for having someone on your front of house, someone running reception as a way of help growing your business um, and giving it some form of longevity. I put a lot of weight on their expertise in that particular area. Um, and I believe if we can get things right from the start, then everything else starts to fall in place. Um, today's clients, when they come in, have a much greater expectation of what they want from a salon visit. They're more well-informed, they're better educated, and they really want to have a voice, feel valued, and have their loyalty rewarded. So with so much competition on our doorsteps, if they're not happy with the service that we're giving, and this can be something very minor, which is why the consistency comes in, they simply vote with their feet and go elsewhere. I'm going to ask you another open-ended question because you seem to, <laughs> we seem to love asking them and you're doing good at answering them. But um, <laughs> I suppose, what's the first thing um, that you would do when it comes to planning out your salon's client experience? And one thing in particular is like, how much do you get your staff involved? Because I know you already mentioned that you do have to respect like the hierarchy, so the seniority and how long staff members have been there. So how, how much involvement do you give them in the initial planning, planning stages? I mean, ultimately, I think where possible, I always involve my staff. As I said earlier, the hardest thing to uh, bring about in a business is change. Whereas if you can get your staff on board, if you can get your staff to kind of understand what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it, it's going to be a much easier rite of passage. Um, I, you know, Obviously, we have feeding lists. We want, I'm running a business. I want the most expensive stylist in my business to be filled up before I want the least filled up. Um, but ultimately, this is where I go back to a front of house. Whoever is answering your telephone, or it doesn't matter if they're 16, 17, or a qualified receptionist, or whoever is your meter and greeter, has to be well informed about the members of staff that you have working for you and all the services that you have to offer. For us, I, I know what's key to our growth and longevity is my reception team managing to match make the right client to the right stylist. For me, that's central. So obviously a client phones up and you need to ask leading questions. What do they want from their visit today? How do they look after their hair in between visits? Is it their first visit? Are they looking for something of a change? But all the time, the receptionist has to be assessing the type of client that they've got on the phone. Are they nervous? Are they keen to get in? Are they going to be short of time? Are they, have they got to be out by three o'clock to go and pick the kids up from the school? And all the time, they're reassessing the staff that they matchmake the client to. Because if we can get that matchmaking done right in the very beginning, for me, everything else grows from increased salon services, increased salon visits, from our retail sales. And ultimately, as manager, what I want to be happy about is an increase in turnover. But that comes from getting the trust right from the very beginning and getting your clients on board. 
like for when you're looking for new innovative ways and training up the team so you were saying talking on the phone and actually being able to identify how the client sounds so what sort of mood and stuff they're in do you look outside the salon industry for much inspiration here and do, do you get your team as well to be more aware of services that they receive from everyone else i think probably and we we you know, I talk and I talk with some, I presume some air of authority, but let me reassure you, we don't get things right. We make mistakes every day. We make cock-ups. But what I think is important is that you learn from those. I think the other big mistake I know we fall into and probably the vast majority of salons is we never, I kind of look at us as like a goldfish bowl. I never step step out of the Richard Wall Goldfish Bowl, which is why when I'm doing education or some public speaking, it's great for me to meet other people in the industry and hear their ideas because then I can bring often those ideas back into the salon. And that's when so many things like Salon Summit is good because it's a coming together of minds um, where you can have an exchange and think, I'll take that idea, that would work with me. But I think... The hardest thing is that we don't step out, we don't experience um, what other salons are doing. And the hardest thing, one of the most hardest things to evaluate is also the most difficult to educate. Customer service means so many different things to different people. And my belief is that our industry is such a unique one that I go back to where we need to tailor make our customer service experience to meet the individual needs or the demographic of our client that's coming through the door. Yeah, I mean, like testing, like every company does it. How, how can you guess what people are going to receive unless you've tried it? Like you could spend days testing for the perfect recipe, but just test it, test it, test it, try different options. Exactly. Sometimes you fall and you fail. Sometimes we're bringing a package or we'll do something in the sun. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter that it doesn't work. You know, it really just... I think it's giving something fresh to the client. It's listening to the client voice. Um, we're quite up for surveying our clients and asking their opinion. So quite what will happen, certainly within the hair industry, I'll go in to do some consultation work, and they're thinking of introducing beauty. There's no point in introducing beauty if next door to the salon is a beauty salon where everyone already visits. But survey your clients. Ask them if they'd make use of this service. You know, we've got to kind of make it work for them, ask the client what they want and ultimately try and give it to them. So that's how you're doing your measurement is essentially just ask them straight up. Totally. I mean, there's no real way for us to measure is customer services working. The only really for me, the the only way I can ask on a date, you know, we're dealing with twelve hundred clients per week. So on the best win of the world. I don't have time to go around every client. I don't have time to sit and listen in on every consultation. I have to have faith that my team is following our company ethos to deliver. But also one of the simplest things, and again, this has really only happened recently, is getting our reception team or whoever's taking the money to simply ask the client, how was your visit today? Is there anything we can do better next time? Two simple statements, two questions. You're giving your client a voice and you're inviting direct feedback from. And you're also getting them there and down when the emotion is highest. 100%. And ultimately, you know, I teach my reception team, I teach them to look for what I call that flicker of discontent. The standard, if you see someone that's a bit quiet or not really 
engaging with you, doesn't want to make eye contact, that would be a flicker of discontent for me. And I want to make sure that if the client's unhappy with any part of their visit, I want to know about it. I actively want to invite negative feedback in because in good faith, that then gives me the opportunity to make changes where necessary. If I lose that client because no one asked the question, I may have lost that client for good. And that can break my heart. You know, because it could be something from something that a junior was talking over the head rather than about haircut. It could have been down to the shampoo or the section being dirty, things that we can change. And for me, all this client experience stuff comes down to the small detail. It's about all the sum of the detail that makes up the whole experience. Actually, on the back of that, like I love the way that you mentioned that you asked that question at the end, but who should welcome clients at the beginning and what should be the first thing that they do? Because we, we all know that salons come in all shapes and sizes, so some places don't necessarily have a dedicated receptionist. I get that. And, you know, this is my ritual bubble. I'm very lucky I have a great team. But... Ultimately, I don't care who is meeting your clients. It can be anyone. But as long as they fully understand of the importance of the role that they play, you know, as long as their greeting is warm and genuine, and as long as any information that they give or share is educated and informed. And if they don't have that education, that's fine. But then settle the client in and get someone that does. What about on a Saturday and we've all been there where you've walked into a salon and everyone is just off their feet. But there's always that kind of feeling as a client where I walk in and I get no acknowledgement. Now, I understand you're busy, but I might be someone who kind of might take heart to that and I have to kind of sit myself down. Is there anything in that situation that you could do? Like if all your stylists or therapists are busy, maybe someone takes it upon themselves to turn around for like five seconds. And I don't know, like what, what would you do in that situation? You know, it happens to us. So I, on a, I have eight receptionists. And I have five working on any one day. But on my team are dealing with up to 4,000 calls a week. So quite often clients will come in. They're on headsets booking appointments. They're busy and they can't actually speak to a client. But there's ways you can communicate through body language, making eye contact, a nod, a smile, a simple someone will be with you shortly, shortly take a seat. And it sounds like you're stating the obvious, but I've one of my receptionists mother went into a local salon near to where I live, and she literally that happened. Four girls were doing blow dries on their clients, chatting away. She sat waiting to be acknowledged for 20 minutes to the point that she started to feel uncomfortable, got up and left, never to return. And ultimately, it's just really people taking ownership. I don't. You know, it's really giving the autonomy to any member of your staff, whether they be a first year apprentice or the most senior member of staff, that they have to take ownership of their part in the client journey. You know, if someone comes in the door, that's stage one, and how we meet and greet them can leave a lasting impression. And I just think you have to give your team the autonomy to deliver. It's quite simple, but they have to know that they can do it. That's exactly the answer I'm looking for, because you said it sounds like common sense. But the reason I asked the question is because there are times I do walk in and you don't receive any of that. All you're looking for is a quick eye contact, a smile, uh, even just a finger raise or something. I'll be with you in a minute. Sometimes when they're busy, you don't get that. And it just takes a couple of seconds like, and you do feel uncomfortable sitting there. It's, it's so funny. Most of what I talk about is common sense. 
and it always astounds me that sometimes it's like a big revelation. And what we're trying to create is a consistent attitude of caring for the client, whoever they are, when they're coming in the salon, because they may not be your client today, but they may be tomorrow. And it's really that's why earlier on I said it's so important that as a business owner or a manager, you can have ideas about how to make small changes in your business. But unless you get the whole team involved, unless the team really understand the roles that they play and that their role is more than just doing a great haircut, a great manicure, a great facial, a great set of highlights, then you're almost fighting a losing battle. You kind of have to make sure that everyone understands the role that they play. And in that role, they are expert at that role. On top of that, then, I suppose, um, for individual stylists and therapists, but also on a whole front with the salon, is there anything who finds themselves in that situation? Is there, like, if you could nail it down to three small things, is there anything that a salon owner could implement now to try and improve, like, that overall client experience, especially if that is one of their biggest issues? Well, sorry to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I tend to. Um, number one is talk to your team and get them on board. You know, they're going to be central to creating change. As I said earlier, I think one of the hardest things is often with established stylists that are very busy. Why do they, in their heads, they're like, why do I need to change? Why do I need to talk about product? Why do I have to tell my clients when I need to see them back in the chair? And with those ones, I call them my breeders of discontent. They're the ones to the owner or manager, they'll be all, yeah, I love what those ideas, but then sit in the staff room and back chat you or undermine your decisions. Get those people involved, ask their opinion, because it's very difficult for those breeders of discontent to go back on their word if something's been their suggestion. But they kind of get in the whole team on board. And it, it's difficult. You know, we employ people age 16 and our oldest member of the team is 85, Jean, who works in our coat room. So you have to make it understandable whether you're a 16-year-old whose customer service experience is going into a chicken shop or your takeaway to someone who's 85 who grew up in times when a man would hold a car door open for a lady. You have to make it appeal to them and understandable so they kind of understand what you're trying to achieve. Um, number two would be to trace the client journey from the first point of contact to the last. And always bear in mind that it's the small details that can make such a positive change on the experience your client has when they're with you. And whether that's someone acknowledging on the door when someone walks in. You know, every salon has its natural service giver, um, whether they're a junior or whatever, that has a warmth and it kind of just comes out from the client. Appoint someone on a busy Saturday that you're the meter and greeter, you know, so that someone has a role, but they understand why they're trying to do it. But they've got to understand that the small details on that whole client journey can make up the sum of the experience. And then thirdly, for me, the most important one would be whatever the role within the salon. So whether you're receptionist, junior, therapist, colorist, stylist, is talk the business of hair and beauty first and foremost. Our teams need to get professional and they need to start acting like the experts that they truly are. On the back of that, what are your thoughts on mystery shoppers? 
Well, the team hate this, but I love, love, love mystery <laughs> shoppers. <laughs> They're my secret weapon. You know, it's, my job as maitre d' is to be on the salon floor and try and make sure there's a consistency in the service that we offer. We don't always get it right. It's not delivered all the time. Our team come in, they have good days, bad days. I try and fill the middle ground when that's not happening or address it if I see something happening. But, you know, if you've got someone, we're very open at Richard Ward. All our weekly figures go up in our staff room. We can tell who's, where people are doing with their retail, with their services. Um, a, because it acts as a good comparison and a benchmark for other people to follow. But it also starts to tell me a story. So, for instance, if I've got someone that's not retailing on a regular basis or they're not hitting, they're not hitting the mark, it's telling me that ultimately when they're doing their client uh, consultation initially, they're not talking about home care. They're not making recommendations, going back to my dentist analogy, about salon professional products that are going to be a benefit to them. I don't ever want my team to do a hard sell. That would kill me. But what I do want them to do is just talk the business of hair first and foremost. And I honestly believe that those retail figures and things will follow. Everything else follows. And I know the ones that do it because they're the ones that are busting targets. They're the ones that are hitting targets week in, week out. Um, mystery shoppers, for those people that aren't performing, are essential for a business, in my opinion. Because they really come in, they give you uh, a background into what you're doing right, what team members are doing right or wrong. Uh, maybe it's something in a chairside manner. Maybe it's about a consultation. But we get them to score us on everything from the reception, from the shampoo. Um, did uh, When a shampoo was suggested to you, did the apprentice explain why they're using that shampoo and how you use it and the benefits to you as a client? Again, it's going back to the little details, but mystery shoppers are essential for us to maintain a certain standard. And also then if we have a, a member of staff that I'm concerned about, to have something in black and white that someone who's unbiased has actually written, and it's not one, if we've got a problem, I'll probably send in two, three, four mystery shoppers. That will be able to tell me a story about that stylist. And hopefully we can then instigate change and we can work together. It's never about getting rid of someone but it's about letting them know that you're not living up to the ethos of the company. Yeah, and that is, that's one thing you actually mentioned in your talk at the Salon Summit is whether one staff member is underperforming or one is overperforming, it's not necessarily a negative because you should get the two of them to essentially kind of like shadow each other and bring that balance again. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that you're underperforming this week because you're going to be mentored by someone who is doing it right and doing it well. And that feedback comes from mystery shopping as well. Indeed, I think it's always just about, uh, my role is always about keeping my on the ball. You know, you can never sit back as an owner or a manager and think, right, they've told them that now and they've got it. It's always about, Helen would call it spinning plates. So we're going around and we're spinning plates. One plate will drop and you're spinning two others and you go back to the one that's dropped and you start again. You know, our wonderful industry is an industry made up of individuals and that's what makes it so special and that's what we're all doing here in it. That's what we love. It would kill me to do an office job Monday to Friday, nine to five. But part of that is knowing that that comes with a plethora of outside influences and people have good days and bad days and it's really just trying to make sure that we can offer a consistency as much as possible in the customer service experience that we offer. So just one question I kind of wanted to jump in there and 
just before we finish it off and I kind of realize it's probably poor placement because it is more of a negative and should have done it at the start of the show but sometimes you do get unhappy clients or sometimes you get someone who is irate and that might not necessarily be something that's happened in the salon it could be a, a mood or an attitude they had before coming into the salon or maybe it was because of what happened in the salon but do you actually have a process in place with your staff members with dealing with unhappy or irate customers because it does happen that's another big open-ended question you know because every day is different I would like to think I'm here to dive in if there's an issue with a client. I, you know, quite often I want my stylist, my therapist to be looking after the client they're with. I want my receptionist to be booking new clients or taking phone calls. Juniors, in my opinion, aren't qualified to deal with such a thing. But, you know, stuff happens. Um, I think as I've got older, you learn from experience, you learn how to read different situations. But another key thing Helen said to me when she made me manager was always remember the expression, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And I think when you've got a client that's irate, quite often it might be about your salon or as you say, an outside influence. You feel that you want to step in and feel the anger with your own voice or justify what's happened when quite often all a client will want to do is rant and let off steam and get it off their chest. Um, So I've learned really probably one of the biggest things I've learned is to be quiet and just let the client talk first. Um, I probably, three things, I stop, I listen and I assess. assessing always the brain sticking over what way is this going to go i'm looking if it's something that's happened in the salon i'm making a judgment on the finished look of the hair or what the clients say to me but i'm always trying to keep control of that situation i think as i've dealt with clients over the years the minute that a client sees that you're not in control or you're not sure of the direction to go in they almost it gives them an energy and a power that then they can take control. So I always try and keep control of the situation. Um, Most often you have to think on your feet, but if it's something that's happened within the salon, you kind of have to know 99% of the stuff can be sorted. And all the client really wants is someone to take ownership. Someone say, I'm really sorry we got it wrong, but this is what we can do to sort it out and be reassured that this is an issue that we can deal with. Obviously, things do happen if hair's cut too short or whatever. But as long as the client feels that they have a voice, as long as they feel that someone is looking after their needs, generally you can diffuse any situation. I really like that point that you're saying that Helen mentioned, um, and I think it should be repeated. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Most hairdressers in my experience will always want to be right. So if something's gone with, wrong with the colour, the colourist will tell me that that client was a, was a mad woman. She, I knew she was a problem at the start. And it's like, no, let's sit back and let's address, did you follow the company policy on consultation? Did you set boundaries? Did you manage expectations? If they can say yes to all of that, then I'll have their back. But if they haven't, they've let me down on one of those areas, I would generally have to side with the client because then we haven't lived up or tried to exceed the expectation of what a client experience or a client visit can be. All in all, from from what I'm getting out of this is that if there's one thing you should remember is that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So essentially make sure that every single touch point within the salon, it needs to be on point. (laughs) 
the thing is, all you can do is try. You know, I, with the best will in the world, it doesn't happen every day at Richard Ward. But that's my aim. And if it doesn't happen for any reason, then I have to address it and I have to make an amends to a client. Ultimately, all I want to do is keep that client's business in our salon, keep it in-house. You know, a client will go out, a good experience they tell about three or four people, and a bad experience they're happy to tell up to 15 to 20 people. When we're a business that survives on word of mouth and reputation, I don't want 15, 20 people hearing about that negative experience. I want them to hear, yeah, they cocked up, they made a mistake, but listen to how they dealt with it. It was dealt with in a professional manner. It was dealt with a level of expertise and they've got me back on track. And so, yeah, I'll hold my hands up when we don't get it right and I'll own it. But ultimately, we're always striving to offer a consistency. And if we're a team are behind you, then my job's a little bit easier. Well, look, life is a learning curve and you're always going to have the ups and downs. But don't be, don't focus on the negatives. Don't focus on the downs. Try and find a positive out of it. And like you're saying, if something goes wrong, take ownership. How did you deal with it? Move on from there. That's exactly it in a nutshell. So you could have saved me that whole paragraph in that one statement. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll cut that bit out. Don't worry. I'll give you the credit. <laughs> Well, listen, Gavin, that's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show today. And I especially like the fact that I know when we introduce you as a salon maitre d', people probably think, oh, he's got a massive salon that he's running. I'm only a small salon. But you've managed to do it in a way that it covers everyone. It covers all shapes and sizes of salons from two staff to 15 staff from 30 bookings a day to what, 5,000 calls, did you say? 1,200 clients? Uh, 4,000. Let's not overdo it. My team would have a heart attack. But yeah, <laughs> they're busy enough. Let's just say that. But you've managed to get all areas into that today. That's, that's been brilliant. Fair play. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So that was Gavin Hoare with um, loads of great tips and advice for client experience. And like he said, well, he he says that a lot of them are kind of like um, common sense, but there was definitely a few tips in there that you'd never have thought of, a few simple tips as well. So that's definitely worth adding to your arsenal for the 30 Days to Grow campaign. Even more than just the 30 Days to Grow campaign, to be honest, like it's something that has to, like he said at the beginning, like we have the power to change how customer service is being delivered. And I I think like after this episode, I think you cannot not agree with him. Do you know? Oh, hundred percent. And I especially love the whole thing of be the expert you are. Again, it comes back. We mentioned at the start of the show, we've mentioned a few times throughout the show actually, but it's like you are the paid professional that people are coming to for advice. They expect you to give that advice. Like his dentist, his dentist example at the start, it couldn't be any more relatable. Actually, the the fact that you're reminding me of this, um, at the summit, he had listed seven universal needs that we need to fulfill for clients. The first one was like, the person has to feel welcome, needs to be listened and understood, being served by an expert, having multiple solutions to their needs, indulging themselves, being reassured on purchase decisions and being shown out and getting a nice follow up. And that's literally the key as well the follow-up it's so important so that's it for us today i hope you enjoyed this episode next week we're having a special guest who's a repeat guest on the show david barnett so make sure you tune in next monday in the meantime if you have any feedback feel free to leave us a review on itunes or on stitcher we're always looking for suggestions on how to improve the show otherwise have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next monday all the best